Well, I'm loving this rain. You know me, wind, rain, the angrier the better. I'm just enjoying myself. Uh, anyone have been flooded out yet? Any, anyone? Other two services, no one's been flooded. The only person I know of as having uh, uh, flooding probably is Dave Cox, you know, our, our, yeah, our, our, our pastor of student ministries. It's great he's got all those student interns working for him, though, because uh, I'm sure they'll be digging him out. But... Uh, no, uh, but I'm glad you're, uh, you're here today. Um, you know, this seminars we have come, have coming up, if you're not familiar with them, the boundaries, great, you know, great material, highly endorse that. Um, and then uh, also, you know, this apologetics thing, I hope you caught what she said. This is live. These are like internationally known guys, uh, kind of world-class speakers. J.P. Moreland at the head of that list. You've a lot of heard of him. And a great topics um, as you look through your, your weekend views. So I uh, encourage you to mark your calendars for that. It's a tremendous opportunity. It's unbelievable we get to have them here, you know, here and live. And, and then for that price, usually they're, you know, something like this would be $25, $50 a, a session. So it's just a great opportunity. So, um, hey, if you're, you're brand new here at Rocky Peak, I want to welcome you, the few, the noble. You know, you're, you made it through the rain. And uh, we, uh, we're in the midst of a, a series, my name is Pastor Mike, and we're in the midst of a series on priorities. And inside of your uh, weekend program is a white message note sheet that we use every week to kind of guide our time of teaching. And so I encourage you uh, to take that out and follow along, and then we're going to uh, jump in. So you are out there today, right? You're very quiet. Okay, good. There you go. That's what I'm talking about right there. I, uh, you're so quiet. I wanted to make sure that uh, and washed away all your emotion or something like that. So uh, let's, let's pray together. Father, we are just excited about what you're doing here at our church. God, every week, I know I say that, but every week it's true. It's just every week, stories of changed lives, new people coming to know you for the first time, people that have known you a long time but have just kind of been really sort of dead and just waking up to you and get excited about what you're doing in their lives. And so we realize that today is the next step in our journey of walking with you. And so as a congregation, so we pray that as we gather around your word and we look in, that you would teach us a little bit more of what it looks like, what it means to make you priority one in our life. And so we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, it happened just like God said it would. Um, God had said, uh, I want you to go down to Egypt, superpower of the world. I want you to tell them to let go all their slaves, a couple million slaves, and, uh, and they're going to do it. And it seemed kind of ridiculous at the time, but uh, he obeyed orders. He went down there, and sure enough, God showed up. And ten plagues later, they were not only uh, ready to let Israel go, they were kind of like, you know, just take whatever you need and, and get out of here. And one of the things that God told them was that when, you, when it comes time for you to leave, I want you to ask the Egyptians for some going away presents um, because uh, you've worked for free all these years and so uh, you're entitled to that. And so by the time it came when they, they said they were leaving and they asked for gifts, the Egyptians basically said, hey, take whatever you want, you know, just leave. And so they, in God's words, they plundered the Egyptians they ripped them off. They, uh, they took their gold, they took their silver, they took uh, great, uh, you know, fine clothing, material, and they just, they left loaded. And three months later, they end up at Mount Sinai. And we talked about this last week. God shows up in power. And, uh, and, then, and then Moses goes up into the mountain for a month to get the final instructions about their new nation. And one of the things that God tells them while he's up in that month is that God wants to move in to the nation. He wants to live amongst the people. They live in these big tents, like Bedouin tents. He wants his own tent. And he wants to be right in the center of the action. So he wants to be kind of three tribes to the north of him, three tribes to the south, three to the east, and three to the west. He wants to be right in the center of the people. God wants to move in the neighborhood. 
And God gives very specific details about this amazing tent. Uh, first of all, it's going to be surrounded by these kind of leather, uh, wood, you know, wood um, kind of frames and leather uh, that's going to cover the whole area. And so it's like it creates a huge courtyard inside. And when you got inside, there'd be a, uh, like an altar there. And, and the altar would be where you'd offer the sacrifice. And then you'd have the actual tent itself. And inside the tent was these two compartments. The first compartment uh, was all carefully laid out by God, uh, certain furnishings. They're all sim- very highly symbolic. So there, for example, there was a table with a special kind of bread only the priest could eat. There was uh, this like, candlestick, lampstand sort of thing, uh, light of the world. Uh, there was uh, incense burning the prayers of God's people. It was all laid out. And then as you moved into the back compartment, the smaller compartment, that was really only about one thing was in there, and that was this box, uh, you know, box. Made out of wood, covered in gold. Had uh, kind of little, um, like, what do you call them, like loops on the side. And that's where you put the poles through, because you can't touch the box. If you touch the box, you die. And, and on top of the box is gold, covered in gold. There are these two angels facing one another. And so only the high priest, the top priest, would go in once a year. He'd take in the blood of the sacrifice for the forgiveness of the people. He'd put the blood there on that, that kind of gold cover right between the angels where the unseen God would meet with the people. And so every detail of this temple, this tabernacle, this tent, every detail was laid out. The kind of cloth, the kind of uh, silver, the kind of gold, what the pots were made of, what the pans were made of, what the priests were to wear, kind of curtains you were to hang, what kind of embroidery on the curtains. I mean, it was just really specific. And so Moses comes down the mountain, and he's got this architectural design. He's taking good notes, and he takes it to the people, and he says, I've got great news. God wants to move in. He wants to move in our neighborhood. We're supposed to build this tent. It's going to take a lot of time and a lot of money. And, and the good news is they had all they needed to build this tent. Because they had ripped off the Egyptians, <laughs> they had all the materials. They were like slaves living in the middle of the desert. Where do you come up with gold, silver, fine cloth? Well, they got it from the Egyptians. So God had already given them everything they needed to build this tent. Of course, the only question is, are they willing to pay the price in order to have God's presence? Are they, are they willing to cut into this windfall profit that they just kind of came across in order to finance this project. Well, today we continue this series in the book of Haggai. And uh, it's a series on priorities. It's called uh, Priority One, putting the first thing first. It's a series about what does it look like to make God priority one in our life. And we're studying the ancient prophet's writings, Haggai. Just two short chapters in the Old Testament but, but just packed full of powerful principles on priorities, especially our relationship with God. And so um, if you've been here the last couple messages, you kind of know the drill, but I want to step back just to remind us kind of where we've come, and also if you're new here today, bring you up to speed. So here's how it goes. The nation of Israel had been gone in exile a thousand miles away from the promised land um, for 70 years. And through a series of miraculous events, God had brought them back to the land. And when they got back, They were so excited to be seeking God in their own land. They just wanted to make him number one in their life. They wanted to make him their deepest, uh, their first love, their deepest passion, their highest purpose. And they knew the first step was they needed to rebuild the ancient temple that had been destroyed so that God could be in the center of their nation. 
And so they, they launched in, and they took an offering, and it was huge. People gave somewhere between 10 and $20 million. They just gave, just pulled out the checkbook, how much do you need? I mean, they're excited. God's on the move. I want in. I want to be a part. How much do you need? They wrote this huge checks. They took in this huge offering, ordered the materials. Materials come. They have the ribbon-cutting ceremony. They lay the foundation. And then they get off track. And they lose sight of what it looks like to make God priority one. And so now it's 15 years later, the temple still lays in ruins. Meanwhile, their life is in ruins. They haven't put two and two together to realize that they're one, the two are connected. They're working really hard in their fields, but, but no money's coming in. They can't pay the bills, and they're mystified. I mean, God brought us back. We know he was with us. The law of Moses says he'll bless us. Why isn't he blessing us? So God raises up this prophet, Haggai. And Haggai says, here's the reason. The reason is, is you've drifted in your priorities. God's no longer number one. You care more about fixing up, remodeling your own homes than you do about fixing up his home. And until you get back on track, God's not going to bless you. You're not going to experience his presence, his power, his blessing in your life. And so if you are here last week, you saw that for once in their life, they actually listen. No procrastination. No rationalization. No compromise. No justification. Just flat out obedience. And God begins to, he comes back to them, they begin to build. But now we're about three or four months later in the process. So I want you to jot a couple dates down on your note sheet, okay? So you remember how this works. Haggai first brought his first message that they were being disobedient on August the 29th, 520 B.C. That's when he came and said, you're out of line, here's the problem. Second date, September 21st. 520 B.C. Three weeks later, they obey. Drop everything. We're going to build the temple. Now we're going to write a third date down. December the 18th, 520 B.C. It's been three months since they started to work. And they are getting discouraged. And the reason they're getting discouraged is because their life hasn't turned around yet. I mean, three months ago, four months ago, they got back on track with God. They made him number one. They dropped everything, started building the temple. Now it's December, and they're running out of food. Their harvest was so bad the previous summer, before they came back to the Lord, that they're running out of food. And life is painful, and life is hard. Have you ever been there? It's like you've made your commitment to God. God has challenged you. You're off track in this area of your life. And you say, okay, I will obey, and you get back on track. And now you're three months down the road, and life doesn't seem like it's working. And you're like, hey, God, I thought that you would bless me, and like it's not, being, it's not happening here, and I broke up with that girl, and I knew it was the right thing to do, and I don't have any date yet, you know? Uh, I, I started turning my marriage around. I got serious about it three months ago. My wife hasn't noticed yet. What's happening here? Okay? And so we, we often expect that the moment we obey, boy, everything's going to turn around, and that's where they were at. And so God sends Haggai with the good news. Hey, I know things don't look better, so good, but remember how bad they were, and from this day forward, December the 18th, from this point on, I am now going to bless you because of your obedience the last three months. So let's pick up the story. It's in Haggai chapter 2, and we're looking at verse 10. Haggai 2 and verse 10. Okay, so on the 24th day of the ninth month, that's, uh, that's uh, December 21st, 
I mean December 18th rather, the one you just wrote down. The second year of Darius, remember he's the, the king over the superpower of Persia, they still report to. The word of the Lord comes to the prophet Haggai. He's going to speak to him, and we're going to skip over part of what he says. We're going to go down to verse 15. He says, I want you to give careful thought to this from this day on. Now, if you were here last week, you remember, remember that God said this twice back on August 29th. He said, I want you to give careful thought to your life. Remember that? He, he said, um, remember what had happened was they were not building the temple. God was no longer priority one. And their lives were falling apart financially. And they had not put two and two together. And so remember, twice God spoke and said, I want you to give careful thought to your life. Let's connect the dots here. There's relationship. Well, that was back in August. And I don't know about you, but in my life, when God speaks to me about something, I remember for about maybe a week, pretty much. I'm pretty good for a week, you know. And then I start forgetting what he said. And so now it's, it's December uh, December the 18th, and they, they, they just kind of forgot what God said. And so he's saying, I want you to give careful thought again. Let's go back. Let's review this. I want you to consider how things were before one stone was laid on another. In other words, go back to August 29th before you started the rebuilding project. Uh, verse 16th, when anyone came to a heap of 20 measures. So he says, remember how it was back then. You go to your barn to get some grain. And, and you would hope that there would be about 20 measures of grain there, but there would only be 10. So in other words, your crops were only producing at 50% rate. He says, okay, and, and it's not just the wheat, because when anyone came to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. So it was even worse in terms of the vineyards. They were producing at a 40% rate. Now, this last week, I was driving to work one day, and the news was on KNX News Radio, and uh, it, 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 told, it, it made a statement that according to the National Association of Realtors, whatever, this last year's home sales was down 13%. Worst drop in 25 years. Now, you can see what a drop of 13% has done to our economy. Imagine what a drop of 50 to 60% would do. So they're in tough, tough uh, place. And he says, I want you to remember back, remember how life was back then. And then in verse 17, he reminds him of the reason why it was like that. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not turn to me. Remember what we learned last week. So God had been trying to draw the nation back to himself, remember, by discipline. And it was actually God who was standing against the crops and the rain. It wasn't just a chance economic turndown. God was actually disciplining the nation, but they were not getting the message. They were not turning around. We saw that last week. He says, so that's how it was. He says, verse 18, but from this day on, from December the 18th, 520 B.C., that what they call the 24th day of the ninth month from that date, he says, I want you to give careful thought. There it is again, fourth time. I want you to give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. I want you to think back to when you first started this project. I want you to give careful thought. Okay, so look at your lives. Is there, any, is there yet any seed left in your barns? Well, no. Uh, see, what had happened is that the harvest was done. We're December, right? It's December. You don't harvest in December. And so, so what's going on is that, yes, they got their act together as of August 29th, 
But the harvest was over for that year, you see? And so as a result, they're still paying for the consequences of their past disobedience. They've gotten reconnected with God, but the consequences remain. Now, is this starting to sound familiar, our lives? <laughs> okay. Uh, how about the, he said, until now, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree have not borne fruit. He says, that's been your experience. You've turned around, you followed me, but it hasn't paid off in your life. But he says, catch this, from this day on, December the 18th, I will bless you. Okay? Now, today what we're going to do is we're going to do what we did last week and pull out a couple priority principles for our lives. But before we do that, I want to do a quick little sidebar here that doesn't really fit with the rest of the teaching necessarily clearly, but it's very important. I just think it's important. Uh, there's a great lesson here. Is that often in our life when we get off track and God says this is what you need to do back to get on track, we take, we say, yes, God, I will. We get back and we expect God to bless our lives immediately. And what we don't understand is there is awesome, uh, there's often consequences for disobedience that carry on even after our obedience is reinstated, you see? Now, we understand this in some ways. The person's been smoking all their life. They decide not to smoke. Uh, that's a great decision, a great health decision. It doesn't guarantee that they won't have lung problems, right? There's consequences. And in our life, it's the same way that many times when we've been sowing to disaster for a long time, we get back with God. He forgives us. He loves us. His presence comes back, but it doesn't remove all the consequences right away. And what happens is often we begin to obey the Lord, and then when things don't turn around immediately in our life, we start to wonder if we're doing the right thing or if it's even worth it following the Lord. And the, here's, the, here's the point, is that in life, there is, a, there is a rhythm to life. There's a seed time and harvest principle in life. There's a reaping and a sowing. And many times after you turn around, your life is not going to change immediately, but you just keep planting, and in time you will reap. This is what the New Testament says, we reap what we sow in Galatians 6. It's not just agricultural, it's in our life. So what happens? So like, let's say you're dating someone, you know you shouldn't be dating them. You know you're dating a non-believer and you, God has been clear on that, and you know you shouldn't be doing that and your relationships keep falling apart. And so you make this big decision, I'm gonna make God priority one and I'm only gonna date Christ followers who are serious about this. And so now it's four months later and you haven't had a date in four months. And we start getting frustrated, like, God, I'm obeying you, what's happening? Well, you're in a planting season. Your time to reap will come. Don't give up. Um, you're, you're a brand new Christ follower, and before this, you've been a lazy, worthless employee. And you come to Jesus, and you begin to look at life totally different, and you want to work for him now. And for the last four months, you've been working really hard for him, but none of your bosses are noticing. And so there's times you say, well, What's the good of this? Why even work hard? Why don't I just slack like everyone off? This is not paying off. You see, we do the right thing because it's the right thing. And when you do the right thing long enough, guess what? You reap the reward. But if you look at the short term, like they did in Haggai's, that's what they're doing. It's like, we've been following for three months and we're running out of food. Well, of course, it's not harvest time yet. God's not going to change all of nature for you, Israel. You see? There's going to be consequences, but guess what? From this point on, he will bless you, right? So, so when we turn around, there's often consequences that remain, and it takes time of planting 
continue the right thing, and then comes the harvest, so don't give up. That's what Paul says in Galatians, so don't get up, because if you just continue to do good, you will reap a harvest in due time, you see. All right, now, let's talk about the principles then. Uh, two stand out to me from this passage, and they both start with a statement, if we're serious about making God priority one. So if you're here today and you say, I'm not really serious about priority one. I just want to go through the motions. I just want to go to church. I want to get the notch in my belt, make me feel a little bit better. I don't really care about making God priority one. I, well, then this probably is not going to be very helpful for you. Okay? But if you're serious, you say, no, I, I don't want to waste my life. I want to get the most out of life. I want to seek for, I want to be part of God's movement. I I want to be right with him. Okay, well, then if you're serious, here's two principles. Number one, first one, that if you're serious, there's a price to pay, but the payoff is huge. In other words, at the moment you get serious with God and say, I, I want to make you priority one in my life, that nine times out of ten, almost every time, there will be a price that you have to pay in order to make God number one in your life. Now, if you stop and think about it, this only makes sense. Because when we get off track spiritually, what happens is we have have allowed something else to become number one in our life, right? We've allowed another God, another lover to become number one in our life. And so it makes sense that if we're going to get back on track spiritually, there's going to be a wrenching of the heart that has to happen. There's something that has been the most important thing in our life has to go. That's the price we have to pay. And that's painful. It's hard. There's no question about that. There's no doubt about it. Um, Now, in Israel's case, what they had to get right with was their finances. Now, this may not be the case in your life, but in their life, this is where they'd gotten off track. They came back to the land. God's number one in their life. They want to build a temple. Everyone's pulling their checkbook. That's our top priority. We're ready to go. But then in the next 15 years, they got off track. And they became more concerned, as we saw last week, about remodeling their own homes than fixing up God's home. So in their case, the price they had to pay was financial, right? They had to get back on track with their their giving. That was their pay. Now, this may not be the price in your life. Uh, It may be totally different. It may be a relationship issue. It may be an ethical issue. It may be a, a, a job issue. It could, be, it could be a sin issue. It could be a habit issue. But here's the point, is that if there's something else that's become number one in your life, God's going to say, to make me number one, we've got to deal with that, and that's going to be painful. And there is no way around it. And so what I'm telling you is, if you're serious, expect there to be a price to pay. Okay? But the second part of this, this principle is where is so powerful because what it basically says is yes there's always a price to pay but the payoff is huge you see that God is never going to ask you to pay a price that's not totally worth it he's not arbitrarily picking a price he's picking that price because this is the price you have to pay to get to the payoff this is what's in your way so for example a new testament Jesus teaches this principle he says once upon a time there was a man he's walking through a field and and he, all of a sudden he trips, and he's like, what did I trip? And he looks down, and there's something sticking out of the ground. He can't figure out what he starts to dig a little bit, and it turns out it's this treasure, a buried treasure someone's hidden in a field. And so what does he do? He covers it up, and he goes, and he cashes out. He sells everything. He sells his house, sells his car, sells his donkey, sells his kids. I mean, he just cashes out. 
And then he goes back and he buys the property. And then what does he do? To go away, man, oh man, that was such a big price to pay. What a bad decision. I'm so, that was, I sold out everything just to get this field. What a bummer. I've got nothing left. No, Jesus says he goes away elated. Why? Because what he gained was 100 times as much as what he lost, you see? And so Jesus says, hey, this is how my kingdom works. This is how my movement works. When I call a man or a woman to follow me, I ask them to give up everything. I ask them to cash out spiritually. I'm their top priority. I'm their first love. I'm their deepest passion. I'm their highest purpose. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That's what I ask. But he says, guess what? Once you cash out, you sell everything, you're like that man who gets everything back with interest 100 times over. The life I have for you is so amazing, but you have to cash out in order to get there. There's a price to pay. The prices are always worth it. And that's exactly what happened in their life. They paid the price. They got back on track, their time and their money into building the temple. And then what happened? God shows up on December 18th and says, from this point on, remember how financially you've been wasted? Financially, your lives have been in, the, in a hole. You can't get out of debt. He says, okay, that's the way it's been. From this point on, that's all changing. I'm gonna bless your life and you're gonna be blessed in the fields and blessed in your land and blessed in your crop. I'm gonna bless you. You see, so they had to pay a price in the short run. They get this huge return on their investment in the long run, all right? So that's the first principle, that just expect it. If you want to make God number one, it's going to happen. There's going to be a price. Okay, number two. The second principle, we'll spend longer on this one, goes like this. If we're serious about making God priority one, sooner or later, it's going to show up in our finances, Now, in other words, that there can be a lot of things that hold us back from making God priority one. Um, your issue may not be finances. I always said that. But that here's the thing. If you're going to be a Christ follower, sooner or later, Jesus is going to pull you aside and talk to you about your finances. Because finances are, are such an important part of life. And what we're going to see is what the Bible teaches is that there's a link between our finances and our heart. Okay, so, so here's the thing. Let's say that you're brand new here at Rocky Peak, which probably a lot of you are. And you may be kind of new at this whole Jesus thing. You're just checking it out. You're, you're interested. You have a friend who knows Christ, and you've, been, you've sensed God moving here, and you're kind of checking this out. And if I'm you today, this may feel a little bit weird because because frankly, like if I'm you, I'm saying like, what does my relationship with God have to do with my finances? Like God doesn't need my money. And so why would there be any linkage between the two? But what it turns out is the Bible says actually there is a very deep linkage between our hearts and our finances. So God doesn't need your money, but he does need your heart. And if he doesn't have your finances, he doesn't have your heart, you see? Now, so, so Jesus, for example, teaches this. Let's take our Bibles. Let's go to the New Testament. Um, John chapter, not John, Luke, Luke 16. Luke chapter 16. <coughs> Okay, Luke 16, verse 10, Jesus says, 
He starts off with a general principle. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. If you have a company, you have an employee who's ripping you off of small things, don't put them in charge of big things. That's what he's saying. Okay, so there's the principle. So verse 11, he applies it to money. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, just your finances, you know, your checkbook, your money, your resources, um, then who will trust you with true riches? Now, interesting, isn't it? Jesus says that, that God is not going to trust us with what he calls true riches if we're not responsible with the little stuff, which in God's view is the finances. Okay? So like the true riches, that'd be like our relationship with God. True riches would be like spiritual power, a leading of the spirit in our life. True riches would be relational connection. True riches would be influence in our life. You know, influence our kids, our spouses, our areas of, in, uh, of you know, sphere of influence. Um, so, so what he's saying, Jesus says, why would God trust you with spiritual power or influence in your life if you're not being faithful in the small stuff? Because if God gives you that influence, you're going to mess it up because if you're not faithful in the small stuff, you're not going to be faithful in big stuff. You see? So what he says is like, finance is sort of a testing ground of priorities in our life. It's a way to test if we're serious. And then he goes on, he says something even more amazing. He says in verse 12, if you have, if you've been trustworthy with someone, if you've, if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property. Now, interesting. We look at our finances as our property, right? God looks at our finances as his property. In other words, when you gave your life to Jesus, you became a part of his movement. Everything you are, all the gifts you have, all your resources in life, you become a part of his movement. Your job now is to manage his portfolio, right? He's trusted you with a portfolio. Your job is to manage his portfolio. So he says, if you haven't been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? And then he says this, no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and he'll despise the other. And so you cannot serve both God and money. So Jesus says in the life of every Christ follower, there is a day. And there's a day that we decide whether our stuff belongs to us or whether it belongs to him. There's a day that we say, you know, that we have to come to a place in our life, we say, Lord, this is what I have. How do you want me to give? How do you want me to spend? How do you want me to save? How do you want me to invest? It's all yours. How do you want that we submit that area of our life? Now, let me talk to some of you here that are longtime Christ followers. Okay? Uh, if you're new at this, just hang on, just kind of listen in. Uh, we'll get with their men. But um, I think for many of us who are longtime Christ followers, when we read a passage like this, what we think is Jesus is talking about is like the tithe. The Old Testament tithe. So the idea is if we are tithing, which kind of 10% of your income, we'll get to that in a little bit. If we're tithing, that then we are, we've done this. We've surrendered our life to Jesus and there are finances. Can I tell you something? That is not necessarily true. That's not necessarily true at all. Jesus doesn't want 10%. He wants everything you own to spend as he directs you. So the 10% is just a starting point, you see. 
And so, uh, and this especially becomes important the wealthier we become, because let's just say, let's take like probably no one here is probably making five million a year, I'm guessing. So, if so, I haven't seen your tithe checks. Just, so, but uh, so, so just uh, to just hang on, I'll get to you in a minute. But, um, but let's just take something. Let's take it outside of our realm of experience to keep it safe. So, you know, I'm not talking to anyone specifically. So let's. If you make five million bucks a year and you give five hundred thousand to Jesus and you think four point five is now yours to own, you see, you see what I'm saying? Jesus is like, no, 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 you're part of my movement. See what how we spend, how we save, how we get it's all belongs to him. And and, and this is a decision, is a is a pri- one of those key priority decisions. It's one of those key areas of our life that sooner or later we have to cross this bridge if we're gonna make God priority one. It's just one of many bridges, but it's an important one. This was the bridge that was slowing down Israel in Haggai's day. You see, they'd come back, they'd surrender their finances, they build the temple, they give generously, but they've lost track of that. And now, 15 years later, they're just fixing up their own homes. God's house is in ruins, you see? Now, so here's what we see. Throughout the Bible, there is this connection between our hearts, our finances, and God's leadership in our life, our relationship. Um, so what I want to do is just take a couple minutes, step back, and I want to do a little historical review of what the nation of Israel knew at the time of Haggai. Okay? So they're going through this trouble. Remember we said connect the dots, give careful thought? This is, I want to tell you what they should have been thinking about, okay, what they knew in the Old Testament. Okay, so <laughs> let's go back to the founder of the race, uh, Abraham. All these passages, by the way, are on your note sheet, but I'm just going to walk us through them. So uh, Genesis 12, God appears to Abraham and says, look, I, I want to build a new nation through you. I want to start a new thing, a new movement. Um, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to protect you. And I'm gonna, one of the ways I'm going to bless you is financially. And so, great. So now we move a couple chapters ahead down the line to uh, chapter 14 of Genesis. And there's this really interesting story. Uh, Abraham has a nephew. His name is Lot. He lives in a suburb called Sodom. And it's a very wealthy, wealthy city. And so these foreign kings come in the area, and they, the coalition of kings, and they attack Sodom and the city-state allies. And they, they, they defeat them, and they ransack the city, rip off all their stuff, take some hostages, and go away. Abraham now, God's been true to his word. He's blessed him financially. So he's got a ton of stuff. He has his own private army, 318 trained men. So he decides to do a daring nighttime raid. He goes and raids the kings, disperses, wins the battle, this daring victory. Uh, he, he gets the hostages back. He gets all the loot back, and he's on his way back house, home. He's on his way back home now, and this, he meets this mysterious figure. His name is Melchizedek, which in Hebrew means king of righteousness. Uh, and this guy is, uh, we're told he's the king of Salem, which later becomes Jerusalem. Um, and on top of that, he's called the priest of the Most High God, which is really strange because this is 500 years before the priesthood is established in Israel. So this mysterious figure shows up. He's a priest of the Most High God, and Abraham does this really odd thing. He meets him, and without even any instruction, he gives him 10% of the loot from the battle. No explanation of why. Just apparently, the priest of the Most High God to thank God for his victory. That's the first time we see this in the Old Testament. 
It's the first kind of the tithe. Tithe in Hebrew means a tenth. That's what it literally means, a tenth. So he gives him a tithe. Okay, so now the second time we see it is uh, a while later. Abraham has a grandson named Jacob. Jacob's running from his brother who's out to kill him. We talked about this last week. He stops for the night, goes to sleep. God appears in a dream. He says, Jacob, don't be afraid. I'm with you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to take you where you're going. I'm going to bless you financially. Uh, You're going to come. I'll bring you back to your homeland. It's all going to work out. Jacob wakes up and he says, hey, if that's really true, I'm going to give you a tenth. (laughs) Big of him. But uh, anyway, the the interesting thing is this tenth thing comes up. It's like, huh, it's kind of a family tradition or something. Second time we see it. Okay, fast forward a few hundred years. Moses comes on the scene. God gives the laws for the new nation of Israel. And one of the laws is the tenth thing, this whole tithe thing, that they're supposed to every year give a tenth, you know, of their produce and their sheep and all that kind of thing. And, and there's, it's like one of three kinds of giving they're supposed to do as a nation. So there's a tithe, um, but there's also uh, uh, kind of uh, uh, a second area is like giving to the poor. There's certain stipulations about giving to the poor. We talked about last year, we talked about Jesus and the poor. Um, and then there's a third kind of giving, like free will offerings, voluntary offerings. You give them maybe at the time when God came through and delivered you or healed you or uh, a blessing, canceling a blessing. Maybe it was a building project like the story we started today with, the tent, you know, they're going to build. Or later on, they built the temple. Or in Haggai's day, when they're building the temple, these are all free will offerings. Right? They don't require it. And all three were important. And basically what God said is, if you do this, I will bless you. In fact, uh, if you've got your Bibles... Go to Proverbs chapter 3. We'll just see an example of this. Now, this is all stuff that they knew in Haggai's day. This is background to Haggai to understanding it. Proverbs chapter 3. <coughs> Verse 9 and 10. This would be typical of the Old Testament teaching. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your crops. In other words, don't wait to the end of the month to see how much money is left over. Give it at the beginning of the harvest. And then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. So this is basically kind of representative of the old, what God had taught the nation of Israel. Honor me with your wealth, I'll take care of you. In fact, if you go back to the left in your Bible, let's go back to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy 28 um, is, the book of Deuteronomy is Moses' final sermon series. Um, And the the nation of Israel is ready to go in the promised land, and this book is to prepare them. This is what it takes to be successful in the promised land. And so in chapter 28, he lays out some blessings and some curses from God. And so the blessings start first. Look at verse 28.1. He says, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above the nations on earth. And all these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord. And so he starts giving a bunch of blessings. Skip down to verse 8. We're going to focus on some of the the land blessings. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns, everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he's giving you. Verse 11. The Lord will give you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, the crops of your ground, in the land he swore to your forefathers to give you. Verse 12. 
The Lord will open up the heavens, storehouses of bounty, to send rain on your land in season and to bless all the work of your hands. Okay, so you get the picture. Now skip down to verse 15. See the flip side of the coin. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all his commands and decrees I'm giving you today, these, uh, these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Verse 18, the fruit of your womb will be cursed, the crops of your land, the calves of your herds, and the lambs of your flock. Verse 22, the Lord will strike you with wasting disease, with fever and inflammation, with scorching heat and drought and blight and mildew. Now, do you remember what we saw at the beginning? It's exactly what we saw was happening in Haggai's time, the blight, the mildew, and all that, which will plague you until you perish. The sky over your head will, will be bronze, the ground beneath you iron. The Lord will turn the rain of your country into dust and powder. It will come down from the skies until you're destroyed. Verse 38. You will sow much seed in the field, but you will harvest little. This is exactly what had happened. Remember in Haggai 1, we saw this last week, exactly verbatim. You'll sow much seed in your field, but you'll harvest little because locusts will devour it. You will plant vineyards and cultivate them, but you will not drink the wine or gather the grapes because worms will eat them. You'll have olive trees throughout your country, but you'll not use the oil because the olives will drop off. So you get the picture, right? This was kind of the deal God had made with them. Honor me and your finances, and then I will bless your life. Now, this was the deal that, that, that Israel had violated in Haggai's day. And this is the backdrop for the whole book of Haggai. That it, God had told them to, to honor me in your life, to put me first. One area that's important is in your finances. They had not honored him, and they had suffered the consequences. So what we see in the book of Haggai is this principle, that if you're serious about following God and making him priority one, sooner or later it'll show up in their finances. And in their life it had shown up. When they first came back from the promised land, they, showed, they were right there to write the checks, just build the thing, right? Their priorities of their heart showed up in their finances. Fifteen years later, God was not priority one. It was no longer showing up in their finances. In other words, a finance is just one area. It's not the only one. It's just one area where it's really easy to measure how important is God and his purpose to us. You see, um, a lot of areas of life we can fool ourselves. Oh, yeah, God's priority one. But one place it's hard to fool is our checkbook. Because it's so bottom line. It's black and white. In fact, there on your note sheet, there's a great quote from Andy Stanley in his book, Visioneering. And it goes like this. He says, your heart and your treasure are linked. <clears throat> if you want to know what you're really committed to, look at your checkbook and your credit card statements. There's your heart, plain and simple. There's no clear reflection of your priorities and values the way you handle your money is an indicator of where your heart is. And you're like, whoa, Andy, that's pretty strong. You want to see strong? Look at Jesus. Next verse. <laughs> Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth uh, where moth and rust destroy. Store up treasures in heaven. In other words, invest in my kingdom, invest in the poor, that kind of thing, where moth and rust do not destroy. And here he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, so where do you want your heart to be? Do you want God to be priority one in your heart? If the answer is yes, he says put your treasure there. And, and your heart will follow your treasure. But if you're, if you're not investing in what I'm doing in your life, what I want to do with your life, then guess what? 
your heart is going to be back with your treasure. It's not going to be with me, priority one. There is a connection between our hearts and our spiritual walk. Remember what Jesus said. He said, if you're not faithful in handling worldly wealth, who, why would God trust you with spiritual wealth? He was faithful with little, be faithful in much. I'm not going to trust you with my presence. I'm going to trust you with spiritual power unless you're, you're following me in the basics. Okay? Now, so this is what I found in life is that when God is working in a person's life, sooner or later, Jesus is going to talk to them about their finances. It may not be the first thing, but sooner or later, he's going to have this conversation. Um, Back when I was first working on this message, it was back in uh, November, uh, end of November. And, and so I get an email that same week from a young woman in our congregation. She's a single woman, kind of mid-20s. Um, and she said it'd be great if I wanted to use this, you know, they gave me permission. And so here was her story. Um, she'd been kind of playing around with Jesus for a long time. You know, kind of come to church, listen a little bit, liked it, fascinating, good stuff like hanging with Christians. Um, but by, by her own admission, she wasn't really a Christ follower. And the way she put it, she said, Mike, remember back when you were doing that series on the Sermon on the Mount? And, and, and you said that, that on the message of the movement, that all of us were either in the crowd or were in the kingdom. We're either in the crowd or we're following. That when Jesus was teaching that day, there's only two kinds of people there. People in the crowd, listening, curious, liking him, but not really bought in. And then people are bought in. And she said, that really spoke to me, and God used that. And she began to share her journey. And I, I want to read this to you. This is really powerful. Because this is exactly how spiritual life works and their priorities and when it comes to money. Okay? Um, hi, Mike. I just want to uh, write to you personally. And again, thank you for all your messages on Sermon on the Mount and the Marriage Matrix. The months uh, that have been going through, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, have really changed my life completely. Every single week, I come with an open heart and open mind, and every single week, without fail, God has really delivered his message. When we started this series back in March, I think, it was actually January, but uh, it just seemed like forever. Um, uh, you spoke about different kinds of people. You talked about crowd and the followers, and I consciously, I put myself in the crowd category because I wasn't really ready to give up my old lifestyle, which was uncomfortable. Uh, the two things that were the hardest for me to let go of was money and sexual immorality. Now, this is great. This is exactly what I'm talking about. When you get serious about following Jesus, there's a price. And he's going to point it out to you. He's say, Jesus, I really want to follow you. You just expect him to say, okay, I need to talk to you about this area. In her life, it was sex and money. What it is in your life, my life, you know, it might be totally different. But, and that's what's her, her, her price she's going to have to pay. Okay, so, um, so when the Bible asks us to tithe, I thought to myself that I really like the idea, but I really don't have the money right now. <laughs> it's kind of like Haggai, you know? It's like, it's time to really build the temple. It's just not, we like the idea, it's just not now. I have a ton of college loans. I'm just starting my life. The people that have extra money can give it to the church. Like, who are those people? Does it, <laughs> it's like, and you just have F, extra money. Kind of the mythical extra money club here. We don't have extra money because we always spend everything we have plus a little bit more, right? Okay, so, um, so he said, uh, I'm going to let those people with extra money um, uh, pay. Um, uh, they can give it to the church, and I, will do, and I will do it after I finish paying my loans. But when I heard the Sermon on the Mount and the message um, 
about Jesus and money, it really made me think about where I'm investing my hard-earned cash. My investments had nothing to do with God or his kingdom. It was only when I left the company I was, uh, or nothing to do with God and his kingdom. It was only when I left the company I was working for with no plan of how I could make money in the near future that God spoke to me about investing my money where it counts. You love his timing, right? So I started slow, as you recommended, but after the first week, I was a little embarrassed by the amount I was investing in the kingdom because it was so insignificant in comparison to the financial blessings God had provided. So I started increasing it until it was more than five times what I started with. And that's when I felt comfortable with what I was, what I was giving back financially. Now, you catch this, what's going on here? There, there's a, Jesus, I want to make you first. Okay, here's the price. Okay, okay one of the areas of finances. Okay, I'm going to put in this much. No, that's not quite enough. Okay, here's some more. No, that's not quite enough. And finally, it's like five times what she started. You go, okay, God says, that's enough. Now, do you see, that's the Holy Spirit. Is that the Holy Spirit's saying, once we get serious about following him, the Holy Spirit is going to turn, turn up the, he, he's going to come in a new way in your life. He's going to begin to lead you, you see? And that's what was happening to her. So, um, she so said, uh, literally one week after that initial offering, I was presented with an opportunity for another job that paid even more than my previous one. God really does multiply what we give to his kingdom. Now, every week, I write a check on Sunday when I get home from church for next Sunday so I won't forget or make some excuse of why I don't have enough through this, uh, this week. Now, here's the part I really like. Before we started the Sermon on the Mount series, I confessed to my life group that whenever I sang worship songs, I was really into the music and some of the lyrics, but I had a problem singing a few of those lyrics and actually meaning them. Lyrics that bugged me the most were, I surrender all to you. These are all caps. Uh, complete control. I wasn't really ready to give up that either. All of me, entire, everything, whole, throughout the series. I felt such a change that really was supernatural, and as you always say, happens from the inside out. And whenever I worship now, every single word of the praise music is a prayer from my heart and it really is true that when I sing, I now surrender all to you, all to you. This is the biggest prayer, that God would be my everything. I can't wait to take the class and get baptized to make a public statement of my love and acceptance of Christ into my life. Isn't that awesome? It is awesome. Hey, and by, by the way, I got to tell you something. When I get up here every week and I pray and I thank God for what God's doing in this church, I get like three or four of those every week of significant life changes that God is doing in our body. Uh, we started a, 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 a couple months ago a staff meeting at 9.30. It's a stand-up meeting every Tuesday morning. Just a stand-up. We don't even sit down. Just to share stories. What's God doing that makes you glad you're here? And we go for a half an hour every week. It's just stories like that. God is on the move here in a powerful way. And I know you don't always see it. And you don't always hear it because you don't know these stories. But I'm going to try to be more intentional with you in the coming months. Just sharing some of these stories so you get a feel for what it looks like, because one story ignites another story, right? And all of a sudden, you're like, I want some of that in my life, you know? And it's like, okay, and so then I get my priorities right, and then God begins to move in my life, you see, and it's like, it's a chain reaction. So anyway, so, so here's what I love about that. I love the whole process. She says, God, I want to be, I don't want to be in the crowd. I want to I be a follower. I'm in. And God says, okay, here's the price, sex and sexual purity till you're married, and, and, money, and your money, and she says yes to God, and then the Holy Spirit comes in, and he begins to lead her in a very personal way, and she responds, and then her life changes, and what's the payoff? Now God's everything. 
You know, and now she's excited about her life, got a whole new life, you see. It was so cool. This lady was here last service. First time her mom ever came to church with her. It happened to be this day. She didn't know I was sharing that story. You think it's a coincidence? You see, God's on the move. Okay, so, so here's my question for you. Here's my question. So here's my question. Is God your top priority? This whole month, right, we're reflecting on this. So here's my question. Is God your top priority in your life? Is he your first love? Is he your deepest passion? Is he your highest purpose? And if not, do you want him to be? And if the answer is yes, I can promise you it will come with a price, so be ready to pay it. But I'll also promise you that you pay it. Guess what? God shows up, and you will never be sorry for paying that price. You'll be like the man in the field because God only asks you to pay a price if there's a payback. Because he loves you, what kind of father would ask you to pay a big price to be a bad deal for you? You see? He asks you to pay a price because it's holding you back from becoming the person he created you to be. And when God sees something messing up your life and holding you back from what he wants to do, he's going to ask you to give it up, not because he enjoys the pain, but because he enjoys the, the resurrection that happens on the other side when God just totally transforms our life, like he's doing this, this woman's life. Now, Let's finish this up. On the back page, you have a section called The Rest of the Story. So we started the day with the story of Moses. Comes down mountain with the plans. God wants to live in, your, in the middle of the people, but it's going to cost you something. You're going to have to give up some of that really cool stuff you've got out of Egypt. You're going to have to, you thought it was all for you. It was actually God was preparing you to do something great with it. And so you got, are you willing to pay the price? So we left it hanging there. So what are they going to do? Are they willing to pay the price? Well, let's go see. Uh, Exodus 36. Let's see what they did. Exodus chapter 36. Don't get lazy on me. Some of you are like, hey, we're getting close to the end. I'm not flipping there. Yes, you are. Let's go. <laughs> I'm not hearing enough pages move. The page meter up here, it's stalled out. It's, I'm telling you. Okay, chapter 36 and verse 2. This is worth it. Okay, so, so it's, they, it's time for him to build the, uh, the tabernacle. And so, verse 30, chapter 36, verse 2, Moses summer, summons the key craftsmen, the key leaders, Bezalel and Ohiliab, uh, and, uh, and they get all the skilled people. So they get all the workers together. And verse 3 uh, these workers, as they received from Moses all the offerings that the Israelites had brought. So they did respond to the, to the challenge, and, they, they, and they, they started getting all the offerings. And it says, and the people continued to bring free will offerings. Notice, they weren't required. It wasn't the tithe. It wasn't the poor. It was free will. They're bringing free will offerings morning after morning. Now, this is coming in. It's like, you know, the Goodwill Center. Whatever's dropping off their stuff. In verse 4, so all the skilled craftsmen were doing, the, doing all the work on the sanctuary. Uh, they left their work, and everyone's like, hey, guys, come on. we got too much stuff. Let's go talk to Moses. And so they go to Moses in verse 5, and they said, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work of the Lord commanded. You're kidding me. It's a fun drive, and they've got more than a fundraising drive, and they got more than enough. So verse 6, so Moses gives an order, and they send this work out through the camp. Here's the order. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. Are you kidding me? I mean, that's the only time in the history of the world this has happened, right? <laughs> Sorry, we need 20 million bucks for the building project. We got too much money. Get, stop giving. Find another church. Do something else with your money. We're, we're out of property. We can't build anymore. We're done. See? You ever heard that? This is what happens when God's on the move. God is doing something amazing, and his people say, man, we want in on that. 
We want to be a part of that. And so they're given like crazy. So, so they paid the price. God says, I want to move in. You're pr- I'm, I'm going to bring my presence. There's a price to pay. They say, we want to pay that price. Okay, now one more passage. Go to the right in your Bible to Exodus 40, and let's see what they get as a payoff. Exodus 40, verse 34. So now they've brought all this stuff in. Everything's been built out. It's just according to specs. It's ready to go. They finish the work in verse 33. And once they finish, look what happens. Verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting. God's moving into the neighborhood. That's what's happening. The cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle or the tent. Moses couldn't even enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had filled the uh, settle upon it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And then from that point on, in all their travels, whenever the cloud lifted up above the tabernacle, they'd set out. Okay, it's time to go. God's move. God's on the move. Time for us to move. But if the cloud didn't lift, they didn't set out. Hey, God says stay put. We're staying put. Until the day lifted. Verse 38. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel during all their travels. You see what happened? See, they paid the price, and God moved in. And all of a sudden, God's presence comes, and his glory comes, and the cloud comes. And from that point on, any time of the day or night, you can look over and you see what's happening over at the temple, and you go, yep, God's still there. God's still there. Look at the, there you can see the fire. See the fire during the day. Look, look at the clouds over it. The cloud, the clouds there. God's with us, you see. See what happened is the moment they paid the price, God showed up in a new and powerful way. And from that point on, he began to lead them and guide them and direct them. Why? Because they paid the price, you see. So I don't know what the price is in your life. Maybe it's financial, maybe it's not. Maybe you got that wired. But there's another price God's asking you to pay. Well, let me tell you something. When God asks you to pay a price, it's only to pave the way for his presence in your life. And when you're willing to pay the price, God moves in in your life in a new way and begins to lead you and direct you and guide you just like that young woman we read in the email, a new way. And so it's time for us, each of us to write our own stories. It's time for us to, to write our own stories. What does God want to do in your life? What did he create you to do? What's the part you're to play? What's holding you back? What's keeping your earth bound when God wants to do something new and amazing in your life? You see, that's what this series is about. That week after week, we would come and say, okay, what does it look like to be part of this movement that God is doing? What does it look like to make God priority one? What does it take to experience the presence of God moving in my life in that kind of powerful way? You see? And God says, well, you just gotta pay the price. Pay the price, I'll move in. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for what you're teaching us week after week here. God, we sense you on the move. Thank you for this young woman's story. Thank you for the many stories every week. Just last night, Lord, the welcome welcome is there. Just so many new stories. How you're bringing people here supernaturally. How you're changing lives. It's just amazing. And we want more, Lord. We are not satisfied. We want more. We want more of your presence. And so, God, we pray you'd meet us. And we pray you'd point out the price and you pray you give us the courage to obey and trust you to sell everything we have so we can buy that field because of the huge hundred time full payoff. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. As we continue.